Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, I'm going to read. Starting at verse 3. Some of this will be familiar with most of you who have gone through that series in the morning. Colossians 1, starting at verse 3, all the way to verse 14. So out of reverence for God's word, as it is read, please join me in standing. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful also, Lord, that, that we have it inscripted so that we can go back and read it and reread it and meditate upon it and revisit it and remember and recall and rehearse all the goodness of our Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that you be with us this evening as we look into this Uh, to this passage, and as we learn to pray with our brother Paul. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The sermon outlines on the back of the worship guide. Spaces there. Now, I know that we're doing the morning series through Colossians, getting on with the gospel. And we've actually already tackled this prayer about two months ago. And I don't know about you, but most people don't remember a sermon from two months ago. Right? And so... Uh, since most of us have slept since then, and since we have also gotten deeper into what is happening in Colossians, coming back to Paul's prayer in our evening series, Praying with Paul, is good for us. Okay? So you're already familiar with the context of this prayer. I mean, I've been spending Sunday mornings for two months or more on the context of this prayer, so you're already familiar with the context of the prayer. You're, you're, you're already familiar with how Paul is deeply concerned in chapter 2, is deeply concerned with the peddlers, about the peddlers and the hawkers and the elemental spirits of the world. You're also familiar with the deep significance of these believers having heard the gospel, the word of truth, and growing in faith in Jesus Christ, love for all the saints, and grounded in an indestructible hope. You heard it actually in verse 3, 4, 5 here. And so the goal of the prayer and the aim of the letter is that we will mature in Christ. Never forget chapter 1, verse 28. 
Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. So we begin this evening looking at the prayer itself, and it's in verse 9. The prayer, verse 9. The rudimentary prayer is there in verse 9. It's, it's something, notice first off, it's something that he asks repeatedly. He says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased, we have not ceased to pray for you. Even though he has never met these disciples, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he's not met them or those in Laodicea. Even though he's not met them, he's heard good things from their minister Epaphras, and so he has prayed repetitively for them, as he will, uh, uh, and um, which is exactly what he goes on to encourage them to do in chapter four, verse two, when he says, "Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving." It's what he's modeling right here in the first chapter, in these first fourteen verses. He's modeling the very thing he's going to ask them to do. So we might need to think this through. We might need to think, oh, you know, we need to become more motivated to continuing steadfastly in prayer for one another. To continue steadfastly in prayer for our adult kids. To continue steadfastly in prayer for our neighborhood. To continue steadfastly in prayer for our friends to continue steadfastly in prayer for our congregation. Shouldn't we, of all people, shouldn't we be known for we have not ceased to pray for you? I don't know about you, but Paul keeps bringing this up, and I go, hmm, maybe we need to listen to him. Maybe our problem is that we're not steadfast, and we're not ceaseless in our praying. We pray once, we pray twice, we're bored, and we move on, or whatever give up the hope, whatever. But maybe ceaselessly is the way we're supposed to be praying. So there you go. So Paul prays. And notice his prayer. It's right there in verse 9. It starts with the word that. That you may be asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So let's kind of break it down as we move through this. He's praying that others, that these Colossian Christians, uh, he's praying that they may actually have two things. First one is that uh, they may uh, that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they may be filled with God's directions, they may be filled with the God's revelation of Himself and what He delights in. So what He's asking for them to be filled with the, with God's will, it's not that they be filled with knowing, like a fortune teller who reads tea leaves, which girl he should marry or which guy she should marry, which job they should take, and things like that. This is about God's will. God has already declared to us what it is He likes, and we have it where? Where do we have that? In the Scriptures. Yeah, very good. Right? So we have that in the Scriptures. We already have God's will. The problem is we're not full of God's will. We're full of a lot of other things, but we're not full of God's will. Because we don't spend enough time really imbibing as deeply as we could and should. And sometimes we're moving along in our discipleship that way. But that's what he prays for, that you'd be filled with the knowledge, knowing God's will, that you would be filled. He's praying that they would know more deeply God's right from our wrong. That they would know more deeply 
uh, his up from our down. He's praying that they would know more better his way, this way, different, which is different from our way, and so forth. We could add all kinds of things in there. Okay? But that's what he's praying for, that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And then he moves to the second part of the prayer. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. When you see the word spiritual in the New Testament, and by the way, when you see the word spiritual in the Westminster Confession of Faith and the larger and shorter catechisms, they're actually saying the same thing. It doesn't mean disembodied or mystical. Spiritual means by the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. Spiritual in the New Testament and then in the Confession and so forth means by the power and direction of the Spirit. So notice Paul's prayer then, that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all Spirit-empowered, Spirit-directed wisdom and understanding. He's praying that these believers would be guided by the Spirit on how to apply the knowledge of God's will in this particular moment and in that confusing situation. I cannot emphasize that enough. God's Word is very, very clear as it stands, but there are situations that are not covered specifically in Scripture, and you need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, and you need the Holy Spirit to help you to figure out how you apply the Scripture in God's will in that situation, in this uh, condition. Okay, Because, I mean, think about our day. First time in human history. We have sex change operations. How do you apply the Scripture to that? Well, it's there. It's pretty clear. But then working it out, it takes God's Spirit to help us to actually see how we actually apply that and we work through that. Does that make sense? As an example. Okay. And so that's what he's praying for. That they would live out God's clear requirements but they would do it, they, would, they will need the Holy Spirit given, the Holy Spirit given wisdom. Let me give you a, let's take an imaginative stroll for a moment. See if this will help us grasp the point. Let's think through uh, an adult child who's getting married. There's two of us here that are getting ready to have that happen sometime soon, right? So uh, I thought it would work. Think about an adult child that's about to get married. You have this adult child uh, along with their, your future son-in-law or daughter-in-law and they've grown up as Christians. They maybe know the Bible and so forth. They even probably know what Scripture says about husbands, how they're to live and how they're to be as husbands and wives, how they're to live and how they're to be as wives. And so praying with Paul here in Colossians 1 verse 9 might go along these lines. Lord, I know they know the details. I know they can repeat the verses, but may they be filled with the knowledge of what you've actually said in Scripture. And then, Lord, all of us know when you get married, all bets are off. Everything is wonky, right? Because it's two people getting together and all of that. May they have your Spirit guiding them on how to apply what you've said in their marriage. Does that make sense? Is that a good illustration? Good, thank you. And I think that's exactly what Paul is driving at. Hopefully that will help us to get his point in this prayer that you be filled with the knowledge of God in all spiritual, all Holy Spirit empowered and directed wisdom and understanding. Extremely important prayer. 
one that you can pray for one another, one that you can pray for yourself, one that you can pray for your church, one that you can pray for your presbytery, your denomination, the church down the street from you, one that is needed all the time, that they'd be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So then after relaying the prayer, Paul then moves to prayer results. Verse 10, prayer results. And so the reason for the prayer, verse 9, is to bring about verse 10. The reason for the prayer, verse 9, is to bring about the results of verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Since Paul wants these Christians, and he wants us, to be mature, right, chapter 1, 28, that he wants them and us to be matured, he wants them and us to be grounded and growing in the faith that is abounding with thanksgiving, chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, notice the four results he's aiming for because of this prayer. Number one, so as to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord. And when you read that line, Paul's not talking about earning God's favor, earning God's love, earning some way his smile. In fact, when we get down towards the end of this prayer, when we get to verse 12 through 14, you can't miss it. That love and smile is already there. We already have it. And so what's Paul actually driving at? We want to show that this God who did these things we're going to talk about in verse 12 through 14 is worth it. Okay, did you hear that? He's worth it. That's that's part of the result of the prayer. Is so that way, as they grow, as they're filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, they may walk in a way that shows all their neighbors and all their families and all their schools and all of their other communities that you're worth it in a manner worthy of you. Okay? And then he goes on, fully pleasing to him. Fully pleasing to, to him. Now, we hear that, and I've heard some people actually say, well, you can never really displease God. He loves you. He's already proved He loves you. You can never displease Him. Well, allow me to pull out the Westminster Confession of Faith. In fact, if you want to look in the back of your red hymn book, on page 858, it would really be helpful. The back of that red hymn book is the Westminster Confession of Faith, page 858. We're going to go to chapter 17, paragraph 3. I find it interesting and very helpful that this, what I'm going to read to you, I'm going to just read a part of that paragraph, is in the chapter on the perseverance of the saints. Very fitting that this is in there, on the perseverance of the saints. And so comes chapter 3. So the Westminster Confession is very clear in reminding us that believers may, here we go, quote, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their perseverance fall into grievous sin, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incure God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, and then it goes on from there. Notice that it is possible to have the displeasure of God. But when you hear that, unfortunately some people have all kinds of strange ideas in their heads. But my friends, if you've ever been a child, right, and your parents loved you, has anybody been a child in here? Yeah, yeah, right. 
okay, and you, you know your parents loved you, did you not on occasion incur their displeasure? And was it because they were, no, not Scott. Scott's the only one who was, was a perfect child. So you need to ask him for the tray. Anyways, but, but you incurred their displeasure, but it wasn't the end of the world. It felt like it because you were three years old or five years old or whatever. It felt like it for the moment. But as you grew up, you look back on that and you go, I'm glad. Dad was not happy with me looking at pornography at 10, that I incurred his displeasure. I'm glad Dad didn't let me blow my hands off when I found that stick of dynamite and tried to light the fuse. Right? You see what I'm saying? I'm glad he loved me that much. And so incurring the displeasure of God is not that he hates his children. It's the idea that he loves us too much. He loves us more than we love ourselves or that we know love or that we understand his love. He does love us deeply possible to incur his displeasure. So that means then, when you think about Paul's prayer, that you'd be fully pleasing to him. Paul's prayer, the, the result of the prayer, the where he's going with this, is that um, the aim here is that those for whom we're praying would not stumble down into that ditch, would not stumble down into that, to that ditch, but would always live in God's pleasure and or be soft-hearted with a readiness to repent, right? That is really where he's going with that. It's so a very fitting prayer that you, you know, should be filled with the knowledge of God with all wisdom and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a way, in a life that shows to everyone that, God, that, the, that Jesus is worth it and that you will always know that you're pleasing Him. And then there's the other two parts of the result. Bearing fruit in every good work. Pretty simple Bearing fruit in every good work. God defines what good works are. So bearing fruit in them. Who doesn't need somebody praying for them? Lord, may the good works they're doing bear fruit. Right? May that really bear fruit. And what is that going to look like? I don't know, depending on the situation. But may they really increase in bearing, or be bearing fruit in that good work. And then the fourth, part, fourth result is increasing in the knowledge of God. I find that interesting. Increasing in knowing who God is knowing Him personally, knowing Him intimately. That takes us almost right back to the beginning at the prayer, filled with the knowledge of His will, so that here's the result, that you would know God better as you go through life and as you walk this way, being filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding uh, to these ends, that you would also come to know Him better. There's the result, the last part of the prayer result. So then, Paul is not satisfied to stay there. He now then moves to the prayer raised. Prayer raised. It's verse 11, the first, first part, part of verse 12. Now, I just found out the other day, I was looking through some of the Bibles in here. So, I don't know if you know, but the English Standard Version has gone through, I think, like seven different editions, okay? And it's just been minor tweaks as the translators went back and looked at the translation and went, no, that's probably not a good way to put it. So I noticed that some of the additions maybe that are here doesn't have verse 11 as a new prayer. It actually has it almost as a run-on to verse 10. The newer editions, the last and final editions of the English Standard Version, tells you that this is a new prayer because it begins with the word may. Okay, so that's why I'm looking at this as that. I think that's actually fitting with the Greek. And so may. So here's the prayer the second prayer, and it's like a ramping, like he's ramping up or raising up his prayer level. He's ramping it up and raising it to another level. And notice the level has to do with strength and resilience. May you be strengthened 
with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, etc. Notice, strengthened with God's power. We've already dealt with this. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, in that prayer in Ephesians 1, the, uh, that you be strengthened with uh, His immeasurable might, that unmeasurable might of His power that's at work for you, right? So that see, He just he, this is one of those themes that keeps showing up in His prayers. Okay, and here it is that we be strengthened with God's power. We have this power working in us that shows itself to be God's power. It's something like what Paul says in Second Corinthians four verse seven. When he says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the immeasurable greatness of the power is coming from God and not from us. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And so it's the same thing here. May we be strengthened with God's power that shows itself to be God's power. John Piper one time, a Baptist minister one time said it well. Sometimes in our prayers we need to pray that the results would be results bigger than what is humanly possible. I think that's a good way to think about it. And that's the idea here, that it shows God's power working in us, shows that it's God's power and not the normal human stuff. Okay, so that you be strengthened with God's power. And so notice there's three traits then. Strengthened for three traits. Strengthened for all endurance. Strengthened for patience with joy. And strengthened to be a thankful man or woman. There's the three traits. Strength and for endurance. And if you know Colossians, and if you've been listening, then you understand that part of that endurance is actually to endure in the struggle, the temptation that's being uh, put out there by the elemental spirits of the world, by the domain of darkness, by the, the philosophies and vain deceit. It's able to endure that and not give in to it. So praying they'd be strengthened for endurance but also praying that they be strengthened with patience for joy. And I mentioned this the other day, two months ago, when we were looking at this passage. There's a lot of people who have patience, and it looks like it hurts. You know what I mean? Mm, I'm being patient. And notice the prayers, patience with joy. Who doesn't need that prayer? Anybody? Anybody doesn't need that prayer? Yeah, Peter doesn't need that prayer. He just said, okay, yeah, we need that prayer, all right? Patience with strengthen with patience with joy. And then the last one is strengthened so that we be a thankful people, a thankful man or woman. Notice it's a prayer that is raised to a higher level. It's prayer for power to weather the life storms that worry us. It's prayer uh, for ability and strength to survive the, even the social squalls that bring us to become depressed or doubtful. It's prayer that God's power would hold us up so that we would ride out all of these turbulences so that we will always have a watchful eye out for thanksgiving. And the reason Paul can and does pray this way, and the reason that we can and ought to pray this way, is that there's a gospel rationale to this prayer that we all should be fully familiar with. If you've been coming Sunday mornings, you should be utterly familiar with it. So here it is, the gospel rationale, the prayer's rationale. It's a gospel rationale. It's the rest of verse 12, then 13, and 14. Notice Paul puts it in 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints with life. 
I use the example from America's Got Talent and Britain's Got Talent when they hit the golden buzzer. Qualify. You no longer have to go through the qualifying rounds. I love that an image in my head every time I read verse 12. God has hit the golden buzzer for his people. You are qualified. Right? And so the peddlers out there in the marketplace of ideas are trying to disqualify you, Paul says. So don't let them disqualify you because God has already qualified you. Right? Good news. He goes on. So God's initiating love and goodness in Jesus Christ has done several things to build us up into being a durable people and to continue to be durable to the very end. So this whole prayer rationale undergirds the whole prayer. This prayer rationale, that's a gospel rationale, undergirds this whole prayer. Because God has already done these things to us and for us, then Paul can pray this way. We are the people who, in Christ, we are the people who, in solidarity with Jesus, find... Verse 14, redemption, find emancipation from our former enslavement. We've been ransomed out of our previous hostage situation where, in, which, in whom you find redemption, in whom you have redemption, it says in verse 14. And that redemption, liberation, has removed our doom and our disenfranchisement, the forgiveness of sins, verse 14. And so by this initiating love and goodness of God in Jesus Christ, He even did even more than just that, redemption and forgiveness. And so it shows up in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And as you work your way through Colossians, you find that the domain of darkness that we have been delivered from includes several things. So let me do a quick survey again so that we get it. That domain of darkness that we've been delivered from includes chapter 1, verse 21, our hostile, our hostile alienation and evil deeds. But it also includes chapter 2, verse 4, and then verse 8, the deludingly plausible arguments and the captivating philosophies and empty deceits according to human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world. It includes, that domain of darkness includes the disqualifying, chapter 2, 16-23, the disqualifying notions that contain asceticism, the worship of angels, festivals, new moons, and re regulations of do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch. And that domain of darkness also includes chapter 3, verses 5-9. through nine, Those earthly ways that we used to live life, such as sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Traits that Paul will call the old way of being human. That, my friends, is the domain of darkness. That is the realm, the territory, the domination of darkness. And we were all in it. And we were all enslaved to it. And we were all held hostage to it. In fact, we were willing hostages. Ever heard of the Stockholm Syndrome? Right? Where hostages become part of the, the problem, right? We were part of the problem. We were on board with our hostage takers. And He came and He delivered us from the domain of darkness. But He didn't just leave us to run around on an Oklahoma prairie, aimless. 
He did something else. He transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He didn't just rescue us. He brought, he brought us out of that way. He brought us into a whole new way of existence and being. The kingdom of his beloved son. He transferred us into a new situation. As he will put it down in chapter 1, verse 23. Now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's the prayer rationale, which is a gospel rationale that runs through this whole prayer. It's because of what he says in verse, and what happened and declared in verses 12 through 14. Because of that, Paul can boldly pray this prayer for these Christians. So three concluding thoughts here. First off then, when our prayers are grounded on gospel hope, verses 12 through 14, then we have every reason to make our requests. We have every reason to make our strong requests. We have every motivation to pray strongly on behalf of others and pray even for ourselves. My friends, who do you know needs to remember that they've been qualified by the Father and liberated from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son, all redeemed and forgiven. Who do you know needs to remember that? Everybody. Yes. Good job, Mike Wells. Gold star. Right? Everybody. Because we too easily forget. If you don't believe me, then the next crisis... Ask yourself, did I remember that I was qualified in this crisis? Do I remember that I was delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son? Do I remember that I was redeemed and forgiven? And the answer is going to end up being no. Everybody needs to remember that. And we need to pray that way, and we need to remind each other, and we need to pray that the people we're praying for remember that. Okay? I think that's a great point. Secondly, if you already believe what God has done for them, if they're Christians, what God has done for them, and how much, and so verse 12 to 14, this is what God has done for them. Yes, even your kids, right? Even your, even your dad, even your mom, even your spouse, this is what God has done for them. If you believe already what God has done for them, and then how much more can you resiliently and persistently and unstoppably pray, verses 9 through 12, the first part of verse 12. And just not once, just not twice, but without ceasing. You have every reason to pray without ceasing because of verse 12 through 14. I mean, why without ceasing? Just think of it, my friends. How many times do you need to be reminded? Especially when the going gets tough, when times get rocky. How many times do you need God to come and strengthen you with divine might for endurance and patience with joy that you would be a thankful people? How many times do you need to have that over and over again, right? So, you need it all the time. They need it all the time. Ah, we should pray without ceasing for one another. We should be on our knees praying for these others this way regularly. So finally, because of the gospel rationale, 
in verses 12 through 14, I'm going to encourage you to do something. I'm going to encourage you to take this prayer and actually the other prayers we've already looked at and then the future prayers that we're going to look at, take them and write them out, write them out in a prayer journal, a one-off prayer journal, just with these prayers in it. Maybe one of those little mole notebooks you can stick in your pocket or whatever you can carry around very easily. Write it out in your own handwriting. Write out the prayer in a prayer journal and leave space where you can mention names. Where you can mention names and you can mention situations that they're walking through or maybe not walking through, maybe crawling through or limping through. But you can mention people. This is what I started doing as we started this series this little prayer, I got this little journal uh, when we were at General Assembly, and I was thinking, what can I do with all these blank pages, okay? And so I have some other things in here, but started taking these prayers and putting them in here and actually handwriting them. You can see two of them here. And so I've got them numbered, and the idea is that as I'm praying for you, and this is about you a little bit here, okay? As I'm praying these for you, so I've got them numbered, and so I can do... Uh, the one we did in, in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 through 13. I do that on the first day. And the second day, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 or 15 through 21, or whatever it was. Then the third day, Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through 21. And then the fifth day, Colossians 1, uh, um, Actually, I missed one. Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11 is the fourth day. The fifth day is this one, Colossians 1. And as we keep moving, and what it does, especially those of you who get bored really, really easy, right? Redundancy bores you to tears. It keeps you from being so bored because it's a different prayer, but it's right out of Scripture. And it's a prayer that Paul prayed, and he wanted this to encourage them and to guide them in their prayers. And as we're learning to pray with Paul, why not go ahead and use some of those prayers that Paul prayed? And you are actually praying. And how do you know these prayers are good prayers? Because here's an inspired apostle filled with the Holy Spirit praying the words of Jesus. Right? Remember, he's, a, he's an apostle, so when he speaks, he's, pray, he's speaking Jesus' words, right? So this is a Jesus prayer. And as you're praying, you're praying with all confidence. I know when I pray these words, this is something God wants to hear. How do I know? Because it's in the Scriptures for me. It's what the Westminster Confession or Shorter Catechism says. Where would you go to get guidance on Scripture on prayer? All the Word of God is to guide us in our prayer. And so here's an example. Okay? So I would encourage you to get a prayer journal and actually write these prayers in there and actually begin using them. Allow spaces in there so that you can put names in in your head. You don't have to write them in there unless you need to. But you can actually... Mention those people. You can mention people specifically and pray God's Word on their behalf. And so I would encourage you to be focused, fastidious, steadfast, and ceaseless. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess to You that we need to be filled with the knowledge of Your will. And so we pray for all of us. We pray for our adult children. We pray for our family members that weigh heavy on our hearts right now those who are Christians, we pray that all of us would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that as we walk through life, we would walk and live in a manner that shows, Lord, that you are worth it, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in our knowledge of you, Lord. And may each and every one of us be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, 
for all endurance, for all patience with joy, for all giving of thanks to you, Father, because you qualified us. You qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You're the one who delivered us from the domain of darkness and you transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. So because of that, we make this prayer on our behalf and on behalf of those that, we, that are heavy on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.